gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence. From Riverwalk Studio, this is the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the cube, 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 cube. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode seventy-one of the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. I'm your host, Dan, and I'm Brendan. And our very good friend Bryce has joined us today. Bryce, welcome back, man. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, it's been a while, and it'll be great to have you on the show and walk through all the thingies with you. And uh, Brendan, what are we gonna? talk about today so we have bryce on to talk about something specific bryce Mm -hmm. is better known for his painting but one of the things that he is excellent at at tournaments is playing off meta armies to a pretty solid success so we're going to start with talking about the bcp meta standings the last six weeks and we're going to use that as a conversation starter to talk about how to play off meta armies and how to approach that at events when we get those again. Relatively, you know, light show, gonna be a lot of conversation, you know, no need to get your notebook out for, you know, some advanced thoughts on this. We're gonna talk about, you know, what kind of works and what doesn't and and how we go about it because, you know, obviously Bryce is familiar with playing off meta armies. Dan, you've been playing a lot of Night Haunts. Uh, (laughs) Which is about off meta as it gets. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that in just a second. And I'm going to be guiding the conversation more because I'm sure none of y'all, none of y'all want to hear too much about guy who grinds meta armies and, <laughs> and plays for table one with gross nonsense. So I'll have my input, but you know, mostly it's going to be Bryce and Dan talking. Awesome. Anything else, Bryce, before we get started? Nailed it, I think. All right. Good enough. Then, gentlemen, let's move on to Whispers from the Warp. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Okay. As the guest, Bryce, you're going to talk about your hobby and what you've got going on on the table. All right. Well, yeah, I've, I was in quite the funk when all COVID started, and I went months without painting like I think a lot of people did. I finally found, I think, my groove. I've kind of been all over the place. I started painting something. I don't even remember what the first thing that got me back on the horse was. I think it was a unit of Chaos Warriors. So I picked up the new starter set, and I, that's the first army I ever painted, so I wanted to go back and see mm. what I could do. I'm pretty happy with how they came out, and then Christian was, every time I posted something, he would just say that I needed to paint my, I have a converted spider and trog army. <laughs> so I pulled out one of the spiders and painted that up, and then I decided to make a sweeping declaration that for the next year I'm going to play one army only and it's going to be Sylvanas. So now I'm working mm. on taking my converted army that was played as Daughters of Cain off their bases, upping the painting standard and converting it all to uh, work for a tree army. Oh, I can't wait to see that on the Discord, man, because everything you put on there is just, yeah, it's, it's Bryce. It's Bryce quality. So <laughs> it's good to have yeah, you. It's been fun. It's been fun getting back in the groove. Beautiful. That's great. Brendan, how about you? So I, at our last episode, was waiting for the rest of my Slaves of Darkness project to show up. So I started painting Archeon. I got so caught up into it, I finished painting Archeon. Oh, good job, man. 
And I'm generally not one to brag about my painting. You know, like Mm. I think it's it's decent and you know, I get some, oh, that looks nice. I think this is the single best model I have ever painted. Wow. I put a lot of effort into that and I think it shows. So I'll have to show you sooner than later here, Dan. Did that and then yesterday I painted a war shrine (laughs) and I painted a chaos lord uh, over the last couple days. And I was working on some marauders this morning. Some big stuff, though. So just Arcan alone to getting him done. Oh my wow. goodness! It was just like all of last weekend. I just kind of like sat down and I just chipped away at it. Just Easy. kept working. Yeah, it was quite the project. It's so wild to think about like how afraid I was of starting that yeah, model. You said that versus before. the product at the end, and you know, just kind of taking it in different chunks and approaching it in pieces. That's where I'm at. That's what I've been doing. You know, we're most of the way through this kind of Slaves to Darkness project. So Mm -hmm. it'll be cool to finish up and, you know, get some games and put it in the display case and just kind of have in in my back pocket. Yeah, absolutely. Dan, I see here on the table you were working on the second Black Coach. I am. And he's coming along really well. I didn't start in earnest because the last three weeks for me just has been just crazy and distracting and a lot of things going on. So uh, yesterday I decided just to sit down. I had pretty much primed it and I'd done a lot of sub-assemblies. Yesterday I just dug in and I got the crew pretty much all finished. The only thing I left on them or the horses is dry brushing. So once that's done, that'll all be finished. And then I just have, and I also have the coach with the you know, vampire in the coffin and all that, that's finished with the drapes and all that, that needs to be dry brushed. But then that's not that much left. And then I just have the carriage to do. Yep. And then I'll be finished. So it's coming along well. I've gotten a couple of conversions I'm going to do. For some reason, I ended up with a fifth crew member. I don't know why. I know it's in the box, but I never, I didn't put it on the first one. I cut him up, so I'm actually going to have him riding one of the horses, which will look pretty cool. I wonder how that's possible. Yeah. I don't know where it came. I just don't know where it came from. It's so bizarre. It's like, I want to do something with him. So I'm going to throw him on there. And then I had this really cool bit, and I'll show you later, Brendan, for the driver. Sure. I was like to do something in his left hand. I had my first one, I had like, this giant scythe that I converted. This one, there's like this cool skull coming out of a thing of smoke or whatever. And I'm going to put that on there too. So and then I've got some basing ideas. I think I kind of want to, I'm actually going to cut the wheels and some of the bottom of the horse stuff because I want to have it look like it's coming out of the ground. Mm. I'm going to do that as opposed to it flying high in the other one. But yeah, that's kind of my project right now. Other than that, well, we'll talk about that in a minute. My sure. next hobby. <laughs> so that's it for me. Moving on. Yesterday was Curse City pre-order, and that lasted all of four minutes, <laughs> is my understanding. I hear that the book actually sold out before the the game did, which is just amazing. It's very odd. You know, with the price, $200, whatever, it's about 30 bucks for the book. But I don't think anybody much cared if it sold out like that, and that's just great. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to, that there's so much interest in it. That means there are going to be a lot of people out there who want to play it, too, which is really neat people to throw down with and roll some dice so that was pretty exciting yeah and i think there's some confusion around it right now there's some places that are claiming it's a one-off mm-hmm. there's some places claiming it's going to be multiple run i really don't know just what you said i've heard that it's a one-off kind of like indomitus you know where mm-hmm. you get what you get i can't believe the games workshop wouldn't have known after a couple of previous experiences they've had with things like this that this was going to sell out and so it'll be interesting to see what they end up doing one way or the other. There are a lot of them out there. And if you miss the pre-order, they're going to be in the stores. They just are. I mean, I'm sure a local store is going to have, you know, five, ten copies that you can run in and grab. 
on Saturday or Sunday next weekend. Sure. Whenever it's there. I think the chances, if you're interested in it, of getting it are, are pretty good. Bryce, are you, do you have any interest in Curse City at all? Or I'm kind of torn. I've purchased mm-hmm. each of those games in the past, and all of them are still in the box. Yeah. Um, never been played. So, I mean, the models are beautiful, and I'm sure it probably is a fun game, but it's one of those where I just don't think I'd ever play it. Mm-hmm. I didn't buy it. I think if I see it in the store, I probably would buy it just to have those models, but didn't pull the trigger. I'm sure if you want to play, somebody's going to invite you to that has the oh, game, yeah. so it won't be a problem if you decide you want to do that. Good stuff. And it got here just in time for Cindy and I are heading east again to visit her mom. So I'll have that to work on while I'm there. Sure. While she and her mom are going up doing all their fun stuff they do together. So that's good stuff. We got all the stuff last week. Mm-hmm. We had all the tech lists and Lumineth Realm Lord stuff and models and all that stuff dropped the second round of all that. Except for the shrine. The shrine is in, the only thing. In the U.S. Did not come in out. Canada. I like to think that it has to do with the big container ship in the Suez Canal. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't actually think Wait. that that's the case, but I like to pretend <laughs> that that's why specifically we didn't get the well, shrine. Well, I found out something interesting. I found out that that ship was actually heading to Europe. It was actually headed to Rotterdam. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was headed the other way. The way the pictures were all oriented, and having been through the canal twice, it was like, oh, okay. And then when they said it was headed up north, you know, it was like, wow, okay. So maybe Brendan, you're right. Maybe I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> so we got Techless and all the LV stuff that's come out, and I don't know that there's a lot of stuff coming up. Do you guys know of anything else that's kind of? hanging out there. I mean, we've got another Mortal Realms book. Sure. sure. We have Broken Realms Bellacore, which we'll have Bryce on for when that comes out. Absolutely. Because Bryce is very excited about it. Ooh. And we know we have Soul Blight Gravelords on Mm -hmm. the horizon here somewhere. From an AOS side, we're waiting to hear more about Broken Realms Kragnos. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. And we're waiting to see how some of those, like, hero previews are going to fit into some of this stuff. Sure. Those are probably going to slot into the Broken Realms books. But as far as army books are concerned on the AOS side, I don't think we have anything coming up. On the 40k side, I'm sure you can come to expect some codexes. Yep, we know Admex hanging out there. That's getting ready to drop whenever that is. And yeah. I don't think they're going to be a whole lot of models with Admech because they've gotten all those other releases before. I think it's just including those models in the book. Now. I think it's that and bringing everything up to speed in ninth mm-hmm. and, you know, selling the next round of books over the next couple of years. Yeah, of right? course. You know, the usual du jour of an edition change. Yeah. You know, we'll probably have some previews of something put out this weekend because we seem to have skipped over the whole two-week uh, notion. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, gone. <laughs> it, it, it came and went and no one knows, but whatever. Not oh, not the point, I guess. I got my Curse City. I'm waiting for my vampers and I'm good otherwise. What's your guess on when the new Death Army will come out, is it? Oh, oh you know what this feels like? This feels like an end-of-the-year cash grab. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking May. Uh, I agree with Brendan. I think set? it's end of the fiscal year. I don't think there's going to be a box. Mm-hmm. I mean, you might get to start collecting, but I think what you do with that is you just repackage the start collecting skeleton horde, and you basically just take Arcan out of it and you put something else, put some new skeletons in there, another hero or whatever. Yeah, I've heard people talk about like late summer or fall or something. No, I no, just no. think that's way no, too no, late no, 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 for no. me, we're, Bryce. We're seeing to, models. When I'm looking no. at this, because they showed us the book, and you don't show a book six or nine months before you drop something. Yeah, the they've only, just oh, never done that. Dan, go listen back to Lumineth. Oh, really? Well, that's okay. <laughs> okay, if another pandemic drops, Bryce, <laughs> I will safely assume it will be another no. six to nine months between. Right. 
between when it was assuming and when I can have it in hand. That we're in the recovery stage now from the thing, then I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with Brendan. I I think it's end of fiscal just because it makes sense for them. All the models they that they'll drop, they will just dropping oh. new IP right before the end of the fiscal year. And all those new models. I mean, everything is going to almost be new. The biggest, most recent ones were Iden F. Deepkin mm-hmm. and Caradron Overlords. And I guarantee you, Bryce, Lumineth Realm Wards or Gargants were going to be right in that mm-hmm. same spot from the year before. Just some quick money to make the end of the year look good and be like, ta-da, look at us. Now, obviously, <laughs> you get into some kind of dangerous space year over year when you try and do that because you have to continue to outsell record months. But that's a business problem, and this isn't a business podcast. (laughs) Moving on now. We'll move on. Moving on. (laughs) Games played? Bryce, have you gotten any? It doesn't have to be AOS, man. We talk about anything. You know that, so... Surprisingly enough, I actually have gotten to play some AOS Mm. uh, the past two months. I was in the store up here, Adventure, on just a random day, and Mike Butcher and Cody and um, Andrew happened to be there, and we got to talking and started up a a monthly get-together. So we get together once a month at the end of the month, and uh, we're actually doing an Escalation League um, right now. And my dogs are really excited about that, as you can tell. They are. (laughs) And it's just been great. We've, We've gotten together now for two months, and... Last month was the first month of the escalation, and we all have 500 points, and then we play a 2,000-point game along with it. Okay. So it's just been great to get together and do that again. So that's great. I'm so glad that you're able to roll some dice, man. It must be a great feeling after so long. Yeah, it's great. Now, what are you, were you playing Sylvaneth when you were playing? Because you are talking about bringing those back. The first month, I actually played the Slaves to Darkness stuff that I painted up, but I told them. We actually played a scenario that I made up where there were four sets of trees around the outside and then a pond in the middle, and we were trying to recover treasure from the pond and cool. going through the trees, and as that all happened, they awakened the Wildwoods, and now I'll be switching to my trees. Perfect. That's great. Good stuff. So, it's yeah. exciting. Obviously, except for the Bellacore that has to be painted. Well, yeah, Bellacore. Yeah, Bellacore will be there, too. <laughs> Yeah, just because. I mean, everybody needs to paint a Bellacore. It's well, yeah, and that was so. That's the first hero I ever painted. I'm just really excited to paint it. You know, ten times the size and <laughs> not in resin. So yeah, there you go. Cool. Yeah, pewter instead. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Brennan? What's going on with you? No games of Warhammer, but I did pick up Wastelanders three. Yesterday, and my buddy Cody and I were playing online. For those of you that don't know, the game is kind of like a Fallout series setting, so a post-nuclear holocaust, but it's a turn-based RPG, you know, kind of like Divinity that I was playing before. So it's Fallout Divinity with guns, (laughs) and so we put a couple hours in yesterday, and I liked it. I thought it was enjoyable. Bryce, you'll appreciate this as being a, a member of the D&D party that we're in, in Ty's <laughs> campaign. Uh, my buddy, you know, is actually like putting together a narrative character and, you know, with a specific role play intention. And we were having a conversation and him and I, you know, we're just laughing over the voice acting and stuff that's going on. And they're like, and my name's Zero. I'm basically a sniper rifle. And that's so far <laughs> as my character development. <laughs> <laughs> Unsurprisingly, I have largely min-maxed the character so oh, I'm far. I'm shocked. I'm shocked, Brendan. 
god. Like, everybody else's guns at this point in the game do, you know, like, 20 to 30 damage. And sniper rifles do more. They're supposed to. But, like, when I crit, I do, like, 800 damage. <laughs> like, level 4. <laughs> It's just one of these things where I saw, like, the things kind of stack up, and I was like, okay, I wonder if this works the way that I think it does. And we get into the environment, and we get into, like, the training part of it, and I go, you know, like, the enemies are doing, like, pew, 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 six damage, four damage, boom, 236. (laughs) Like, okay, well, that guy had 17 health, so... I think we're... You vaporized him, literally. Yeah, my character put a hole in that guy about the size of a car, (laughs) so... (laughs) I'm sure this is unsurprising to Bryce with my barbarian character from the last campaign. <laughs> yeah, that's what I've been doing. Dan, have you got the chance to play any games? Not is that the other? I know it's been busy. So. Yeah, just a little bit of Civ Beyond Earth. That's it. And been enjoying that. It's just kind of been a little decompression time. But other than that, not much. You know, just hoping to get some more Sigmar games in and definitely looking forward to some Curse City here in the next couple of few months for sure. Yeah, but we can talk about that when it comes up, and probably we'll be talking about the game pretty soon. So yeah, probably in the next episode we'll yeah we'll definitely be touching on I think so. notions of it. Yeah, sounds good. Events. I mean, we don't nothing really coming up soon. We've got Nashcon. We know we're going to. And Bryce, I heard some distant echoes of Ragnarok on playing and slaying, and that was exciting. Yeah, I heard you mention that. It's happening. Brendan kind of hit it right on the head. It was when it got canceled. I. Re- definitely thought that it was going to be the first event back and to have to cancel it twice yeah. uh, is just kind of a lot so yeah. it, you know but it's coming and i have some really exciting things planned and some fun awards some stuff to get the club aspect back involved and i think it's going to be an excellent time well you and i still have to settle our tournament divorce so uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right then that is it for whispers and we are moving right on to emperor lies I mean, what are we, a team? No, 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 we're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We're, we're a time bomb. Okay, it's time for a little meta talk and a little how to play off meta. Brendan, why don't you lead us into this? So, Dan, you have compiled the Best Coast Pairings data that they provide for the last seven weeks. Yeah. Not the last six weeks. My notes are incorrect. I put the notes together this week, everyone, so you know, watch out. It's going to be a roller coaster. <laughs> In 71 episodes is the first set of notes I put together. So they have the most played and mm-hmm. the most winningest, yep. correct? Every week it's the top 10 of those in Sigmar. Okay, so so compiled, what are, what are the highlights that you have for us? So today? what I did was I took the top five from each week mm-hmm. instead of doing all 10, and I kind of broke it down by how many times each of these armies on the list had made it out of the seven weeks. And I thought it was really interesting because there were a couple of weeks when you had, like there was one week where it was Grand Host of Nagash, like where did that come from? It's just really interesting, and it was pretty recent. It was only a couple weeks ago. Legions of Grief, you know, I was like, wow, that was a while ago, but it was in there. Uh, there were some others, but I just thought those kind of stuck out. Uh, but and this is the most played category. Th- no, okay. this is actually most winning. I'm going to throw this into question as okay. 
I do not believe that this is genuinely reflective of what is occurring at major events. Right, and this is from Best Coast Pairings, Mm -hmm. just taking their data. Well, sure, but you can put Best Coast Pairings together for all the games you play in your basement. Right, sure you could. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, if you've got some things that you think are anomalies, please bring them up. That's fine. (laughs) Right, Uh, so we'll we'll start with the first one, Grand Host (laughs) Nagash, and the second one, Legion of Grief. So, okay, continue. So what I did was, again, take how many times, you know, and I kind of ranked them. So out of the last seven weeks, daughters have been in the top five or top five, uh, five out of seven times. Okay. And interestingly enough, the last two weeks that they recorded, the last two weeks in March, because this is from mid-February to end of March, they weren't in. So those first five weeks of the seven-week period, daughters were in the top five every week. Uh, Zinch was in there three out of seven out of the top five. And okay. then the next two that were three out of seven were KOs and Fire Slayers, interestingly enough. Those were kind of the top four in terms of who was in the top five, you know, out of the seven weeks. Okay. So those four, Daughters of Cain, Zinch, KO, and Fire Slayers, yeah. I'm on board with. Okay. I, that, <laughs> All right. That is reasonable and legitimate in my mind. Now, the rest, I'm just going to go through this list quickly. These are people who were in the top five, two out of the seven weeks. Okay. The other ones that were just kind of one-offs, which include the two you're bringing into question. If they're one-offs. They are one-offs. That's that fine. Is. People do good with things. Yeah. You know, okay. with, which is what we're talking about. Right. So it, those are, okay. all, those so, are one-offs. Right. So that... That's why to me they were anomalies when I said mm. that. They just like, what? <laughs> when I'm looking through these lists. So the next six, I'm going to go through six that won two out of seven. So this is Seraphon, Giants... Cities, Deepkin, Ogres, Maw Tribes, and Iron Jaws. All that sounds totally reasonable. Okay. So that's kind of where the meta has sat for the last month and a half. That's where we are. So Daughters have really jumped up there. KOs and Fire Slayers, mm-hmm. Zinch. The interesting thing, though, about, as I said, with Daughters, is the last two weeks, they weren't in the top five, which was interesting. Neither were KOs and Fire Slayers. Zinch was kind of up and down. You know, they were in one week, a couple weeks, they were off. Like, Two weeks ago, they were in the top five again. You know, they were kind of back and forth, but they didn't just disappear the last um, two weeks. And the ones that I, I think are missing from that top five that I know show up in other places, Lumineth, mm-hmm. uh, Nurgle, Bone Reapers, and Slaves of Darkness. So just the last week, Lumineth were in the top five, mm-hmm. the 328 week they were in there. OBR were in there two weeks ago. They were a one-off. And Nurgle was in there three weeks ago. They were in the top five. But just, again, those are all one-offs so far. Yeah, that's where the meta kind of stands right now, according to BCP. So one of the things that's been real nice about the way the game has developed is that there is this larger diversity of Mm. armies that can be successful. Fortunately, many of us haven't been able to see it in person, but that's not the point. (laughs) What's really cool here is, is you can take, other than, you know, Back in the early days, where you had to play like one of three armies to mm-hmm. even think about doing some real winning. Right now, there's a good mix and a good variety of things that you can take. So the notion of off-meta is a little bit lost, mm-hmm. I would say. Because that's damn what? 12 armies we just listed off that fin- had a top five finish? Ten of them, yeah. Ten of them total, yeah. That's half the armies yeah, in, yeah. in Age of Sigmar. Yeah, I love that because it's very different than 40K. If you were to do this same thing with 40K, that list would not be diverse like this. It would be, (laughs) Bryce, I think you would agree. It's like just there's this set group (laughs) when one thing happens or if a new codex comes out, 
then it shifts real quickly, and then it just locks in again until another codex comes out. Yeah. It's just, it is what it is. They're two different gaming systems, you know, whether people think they are or not, they are. Very different. And I love to see the diversity. I love to see all the different people who have something there and something mm. to play. Yeah, now, you know, I'm not going to be disingenuous with the group here, right? Like, there there are better armies mm-hmm. right now. If you, if you want to go and win an event, there's a, you know, a one percenters kind of group here mm-hmm. of the have-mores than the rest. Yep. That's not what we're going to be talking about here. Those show up, you know, in that first group. Daughters of Cain is one of them. Zinch is one of them. KO, Seraphon especially. Fire Slayers can be. The mission layout that they have currently, you know, makes it kind of tough for them. But of that, top four is pretty much the folks that do well. Uh, Lumineth, I think, would appear in that category in some way, shapes, and forms based on the local meta. But what we'd like to talk about then, so we know what the top is. Bryce, you are a avid Stormcast player. Yep. Yes. You have taken Stormcast to great success. I don't believe we mentioned Stormcast at all here in this list. Interestingly enough... (laughs) The last week in that seven, mm-hmm. Stormcast were that was their one-off. They were in the top five, so and you one. didn't know yeah. that, so it wasn't that lo- wasn't loaded. That wasn't like a setup thing. Anymore. Well, <laughs> so. all right, <laughs> show's over, everyone. Bryce Scrap doesn't have anything to add. <laughs> I mean, one week out of seven, mm-hmm. you know, that's it. One, one week out of seven with a top five, and I'm willing to bet that that was a Stormkeep battalion. That's an uh, anomaly. Yeah, right. that's what that is. You just statistically. So. Sure. And I think it has to do with the Broken Realms Marathi, the new way to build mm-hmm. it. You play 60 Liberators, you teleport them onto objectives, and it's a one-trick pony. And if you don't know what the trick is, it's a really tough pony. Bryce, what we'd like to talk about here with you on the show specifically is how you approach playing off meta, you know, what it is that you're looking for, how you go about this. So do you want to start with giving us some background on you know, why you like to play the way that you do and, you know, what it is that that draws you to specifically playing outside of the mean top table players like myself. (laughs) Yeah, I think part of it is my special snowflake in me that likes to be unique. I like to seek out things that maybe people aren't playing or haven't played in a long time and and kind of have forgotten about or put aside and said, yeah, you can't win with that or that can't be successful and try to prove that wrong. But also a lot of it comes down to I like to play what I like to hobby and a lot of the things that I convert and make are, you know, different and they need to fit into an army that makes sense. And I wanted to play elves really badly and elves were kind of non-existent, so I made them into Stormcast, and that's how the Stormcast uh, experiment started. And so with that, you know, aesthetically, that's what you chose to do. At the time, there was really one or two Stormcast builds that were in the contention of being considered successful. They were either built around a bunch of evocators, or they were built around the anvils of the Helden Hammer, so the ones that are painted black and gold with the command point that lets you shoot in the hero phase with a bunch of vanguard raptors who would then shoot in the hero phase and murderize everything. You chose to not do anything of the sort. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I had 10 sequiturs, so that was the most meta thing I had in that rendition of the army. Honestly, it all was built around Celestine Prime. I think that the Prime is an incredibly underrated, powerful model that people sometimes 
just drop on the table and let it kill one thing and think that's all it needs to do and that's worth it. But if you use that thing in a more kind of strategic way and treat it like the fragile powerhouse that it is, that model alone can win you a lot of games. And that's kind of where I wanted to, to start the focus. I have, it's probably a flaw in my competitive nature of needing to include a big in in my army. <laughs> so if, I, if an army doesn't have a big model, I don't really want to play it. And it was the Primer, the Star Drake, and Star Drake had seen its days, and the Prime just was fun and offered a cool conversion. So that's where the, the Bryce, list began. Could you give give the listeners a little bit of an idea of a profile for the Celestin Prime so they have an idea what you're... So Celestin Prime is the Stormcast hero that has to start in the heavens. And it, so with Stormcast, uh, usually you have to have alternating one in the sky, one on the table in equal amounts, but the Prime ignores that rule and is automatically put in the sky. And then when he comes down, he gets extra attacks based on when he comes down. So he has the Hammer of Galmaraz and it's a... Uh, Twos by threes or threes by twos? I forget off the top of my head. Yeah, so it's, um, this, it's threes by twos minus three, three damage. Ugh. And uh, you get two extra attacks for being in the sky. So he kills whatever you want. And he also has the special rule that he can um, once per turn change a dice roll. Mm. So you obviously have to drop nine away. But if you don't roll your nine to charge, you get to change it and make it a nine. So you're guaranteed to get him where you want to go. Like I said, the problem, though, is that if you put him where you want him to go and don't think about the repercussions, then he does the one thing, and then that's all he does. How is he in terms of durability? Very soft. He's got seven wounds. And a three-up save? And a three-up save. No after-save. Yep. No after-save, okay. no ignore anything, nothing like that. He's a very fragile target, but also an absolute beast in combat. <laughs> Just wanted to give yeah. people a perspective there. Yeah, the definition of glass hammer. That's... <laughs> And for a long period of time, grossly overpointed. Now just moderately overpointed. Yeah. I think he was 380, and now he's 300. He has had quite a journey to to sub 300 life, wow. and probably belongs somewhere around 260 to 280. But yeah, he's unique too, so he can't take like artifacts or traits or anything like that. So you're built around him, and then your most recent version of the list, right? You also build around the kind of the three-threat idea that I like to employ. You don't define them so much as as three threats, but three purposes. Would you like to talk to that for a second there? I like your idea of three threats, but I also like... So I kind of adapted that into my primary threat, which is obviously in this scenario my prime. He's going to be the unit that I have, and I know when I need something to die, he's going to kill it. But I also then like to have two other segments in my army where one is just the reliable rock of a force where I can get it where I need it to go and have the durability to control wherever I need it to be. So I like to have that brick of something. And in this situation, it's the sequiturs with the Lord Arcanum. And in this list, yes, staunch. So they're three up with re-rolling saves and he can save one from dying and so it's just a unit that i feel comfortable with putting it somewhere and letting you come into it and knowing that it will hold up and then i like to have another kind of segment of my army that's super fast and mobile i find the one thing in this game that that really helps in whatever army it is it doesn't really matter is having a unit that can not just move fast across the board but change where it is on the board a unit that, like Palidors that can ride the winds. They roll 66, and then they can move that far, so they can go from basically one side of the board to the other. And, and having that in, 
it's not a gotcha moment, but it's something that, you know, later in the game, an opponent might not keep in consideration. And you can take that unit from, you know, the objective on the left all the way to the objective on the right. And they don't have a response for that. So that fast mobile unit is the unit that often wins me the games and having that with a little bit of support makes it so it doesn't just show up and die it can you know paladars are a pretty thick beefy unit they are not super good in combat but they have uh, six wounds a piece so it's a lot to take off it just gives you that threat that they have to deal with and keep in consideration so that's what i like to do when i look at any army is think of well what units in this army can fit into one of those three categories Right, so we're going to take it from the macro there down to more of the micro, where you have defined you know, what the three different formation groups you'd like to see, and we just had revealed to us you know, that you are going to go play Sylvaneth you know, for the next year or so. What do you look for in units specifically to fit them into those roles, you know, more so than the obvious, right? You, know, you have things that do damage, you have things that have durability, you have things that are fast, and in Sylvaneth you have lots of access to teleporting. But I don't think that anybody is going to straight face sit across the table from you in Age of Sigma right now and say, you can definitely build a Sylvaneth list without thinking too hard and go win a bunch of games. Like You have to put some considered thought into what it is that you're doing and obviously practice as well. So what do you look for in the scrolls specifically to, to start making that cut to build the list with these three formations in mind? Yeah, so the number one thing is like finding that prime unit, right? The unit that I feel comfortable knowing that I can hold this thing until I need it, and it can go deal with whatever it needs to deal with. And I think there's two units that come to mind that can do that, and one is Durthu with the right artifacts and the right support around him to keep him alive and make sure that he's able to do his thing. The other thing that is kind of catching my attention is looking at allies, actually, to go with the mobility of this Sylvaneth. And, and it's not maybe enough on its own, but looking at a unit of six eels or something like that that can come into the mm -hmm. army and perform that role for me, I think that's one of the things that I'm not 100% on. Obviously, you have sites, but there are, or swords with the Kurnoth Hunters, but they're pretty expensive. And if you take enough of them, you kind of are sacrificing the durability. So I think there's still an equation to work out, but the mobility of the army and the ability to bring on units of dryads is something that really, really sparks my interest. And I think that that gives me definitely the control aspect that I'm looking for, along with the flexibility of teleporting revenants out of trees, sides of tables, things like that. So knowing that there's all that there makes it appeal to me. And you kind of hit it on the head with the practice, right? Once you see the units that you think are going to work in there and have the practice with it, I think any army really can do what you're trying to do as long as you practice and take the time to learn and understand it. I obviously am a big proponent of practice. So before we move into kind of the next stage of questioning, Dan, this is where I kind of want to give you a chance to jump in. Obviously, you have spent a, about a year with your Night Haunt. Mm -hmm. You know, it would have been nice for us to have been able to get to more events to kind of prove some of points of concept so listeners you'll just have to take my word for it dan has been a better player with his night haunts you know more as of late i know some of the game descriptors haven't always necessarily been the case <laughs> over uh, after turn one yeah yeah uh but you know remember i'm a jerk so and you know one of the things when brendan and I, in all honesty when you and i play both of us i'm kind of getting practice and you're experimenting a lot of times because mm -hmm. that last thing where you brought your varangard and you just 
you know, totally destroyed me. But that was an experiment for you. And it was an opportunity to give you a chance to kind of prove a concept, prove the concept for you, as well as me just getting a chance to roll dice and move my models, sure. which is what's important. I mean, we played that beast of chaos thing where you just threw some stuff together. Again, that was for me a chance to, you know, actually use my units the way they're appropriately need to be used and kind of get a better feel for how to use my army. So, you know, like you're right. It sounds like <laughs> it sounds like a bloodbath in my basement, and, <laughs> but, and it is in, in many cases, but you have to keep in mind the difference of what it was before, where Dan was playing <sighs> one of the best armies in the game in Daughters of Cain, and it wasn't close. No. So, Dan, I'd kind of like to ask you some similar questions sure. here, because you have been playing Night Haunt, which didn't make an appearance at all in any, <laughs> um, <laughs> any of the lists, period. Yeah. Can you kind of build off of Bryce's thoughts, you know, maybe some things that, that you've learned that you agree with, that you disagree with off of, you know, how you go about building mm-hmm. the way that your army works? You know, do you prescribe to the patented three threat, you know, which has evolved into three formation conversation? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, what are you looking for in armies that aren't, you know, the filth? Well, I think one of the things you have to do when you pick an army to play is you have to understand your limitation. And for me... With Night Haunt, you know, in terms of endless spells, it, it really, no, give me something else. You know, I, I don't take them. I don't take the ones that are in that book. I don't have anything that's really durable. I mean, I've got things that have seven wounds. You know, they have a four up ethereal save. That's good. The most durable things in my army are my coach and it isn't a hero. So those kind of things you have to think about when you play an army like that, that it just doesn't have some things that other even off other off meta armies have. A Bryce, you know, to your thing, the big giant poundy thing like your Celestin, I don't really have that in my list. I don't have a cabbage. I don't have a lot of things that can just pounce on something and really beat it up. I don't have a stone horn or anything like that. So it's driven me, Brendan, to kind of build my army differently because I don't have those things and how do I make up for that? I think one of the things that I've found is also that I have to understand it goes back to my very early days I've spoken to before of when I played Tyranids and I love my Nids in 40k but it was the first army that taught me how to pull piles of models and handfuls of models off the table without thinking twice without going oh gosh I painted those and it took so long to do that you know and I don't want to remove models from the table hey it's part of the game do it it's just what it is and it's kind of that way with my night haunt I think about one of my hammers quote it's very much a glass hammer like your Celestin but it's my blade geist they got one wound I mean even if I have a unit of 15 of them with a four up ethereal save they get smoked pretty quickly (laughs) If they don't destroy what they hit, they go away. I think about my game with Christian, you know, and I use them to literally wipe out his cavalry unit of his Lumineth, which was just lucky, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. But the point is, they did that. They did what they were supposed to do, and then they disappeared because he brought his giant, you know, cow over or whatever it was and just smoked them up. And that's okay. That unit is designed to hit really hard. And the other thing I've also learned is the importance of using my heroes properly. I can't tell you how many times I forgot to use my resurrection, whether it was from my spirit torment or whether it was from my coach, you know, all the things that can bring models back and use that on my blade guys. I mean, I can lose 10 of them But you know what? I could probably get six of them back and they'd still be viable. And I've learned to do that and make sure that I'm doing that kind of a thing so that they are a little bit more durable. I've also learned that I have no shooting. 
I literally really don't have any. If shooting. you want to hear about how much Dan truly despises the shooting phase, go listen to episode seventy. The last episode. Oh god, that was just just t- terrible. But I have to again deal with that. I have to think about you know how do I get to something that I normally couldn't get to that's important that I do that, and I have to use things like again I'll use the example of Lady O. And I used her to kill that Bryce, what is oh, her? Oh, the Cathalar. Cathalar, yeah. So I actually used Lady Oda to marksman her off. I snipered her off the board with that. Mm-hmm. It was like, wow, that was cool. And it was worth it. <laughs> From what I hear, it was very much worth it. But I have to use her differently. I kind of get to that point where I don't want to take her off the board. But in order to use her effectively, I've come to the realization that I got to get her in close. Because a lot of her things that she does, 10 inch, 12 inch, 6 inch. And if I don't get her in close, she just sits there. I mean, the command, her command trait is, her command ability is kind of worthless. You know, a whole command point to get one model back. I mean, there's so many other ways to use a command point. But I've had to learn to do that. So she's another thing. And so I have my Blade Geist. Mm-hmm. I have my coach and maybe coaches. I'm you know, thinking about doing two coaches, which is crazy, but it's cool. That would be another thing that I could use if I support them with, let's say, a guardian or even use my Dreadblade to move them around. Bryce, you had talked about the mobility thing, being able to move models around the table. That's my Dreadblade. He's my guy who can move people around where I need them, when I need them there. And he can, just like your Palador, he can get them anywhere. So these are a lot of, I would call them like micro lessons, you know, in the tactical version. Sure. So strategically, you've acquired a lot of lessons learned with your Night Haunt. I give you a new battle tome. You're going to crack it open. You know, we'll say that you have you know, Soul Blight, for instance. They, there's a lot of unknowns, obviously. But, you know, let's pretend we crack it open and the the powers that be, the talking heads say, dead on arrival. You know, this is not a super competitive book. What are the things that you're going to be looking for in that book, Dan, with the lessons that you've learned here okay. in Night Haunt and all these other things, the kind of big picture, how you would start, you know, looking for for that list of first thing is how mobile is the army? What kind of ability do I have to move around the board? And I've learned that lesson from you and many others is movement is so important in this game. It's just paramount. And one of the reasons I've gotten better with my Night Haunt is I understand that and I've used their movement and their mobility to win more games, to grab objectives, to do things. You you win by grabbing objectives, duh. Mm -hmm. The other thing I would look at, big picture, is do I have any beefy, you know, giant punchy things? It would be great to have that finally in an army. It'd be wonderful. The other thing I'm going to look for is durability. Do I have any units in this book, which would be really nice, that are both hard-hitting, like, Blade guys and durable. You know, I'm thinking of Blood Knights. You know, mm. yeah, hey, they're going to be really durable. We know they are. And we we're pretty sure they're going to be really punchy. Great. So those are three things that I would look for that... That actually sounds pretty similar to, you know, yeah, what, exactly. what Bryce is talking exactly. about. So, so we do seem to have some consensus on at least style there. That's mm-hmm. interesting. Now, as we move more into the gameplay category, Bryce, when you are playing your army, what are the things that are most important to you totally irrespective of what your opponent has or is doing. The number one most important thing for me is going into a game, looking at their list and knowing what in my list is going to be the thing that I want into what in their army. So if I have, you know, a unit of evocators and I want I know that that's going to be most successful against the unit of whatever it is in your army, a, you know, a 10 wound hero that they can do the mortal wounds to and take off the table. I want to be constantly thinking about that in deployment and in the game and watch for an opportunity, especially with the army like Stormcast, where I can 
either drop that unit in or teleport it across with the uh, holy cow i'm drawing a blank on the priest um <laughs> the lord relictor i'd like to think of my army you know again in those individual categories but then knowing what in that category is going to be most successful about what in your list so that when you know turn one happens i'm not just out there thinking oh well geez what why did i put this unit here or why is this here and one thing with playing armies you know that aren't top tier or whatever you want to call it is there's not a lot of room for mistakes and there's not a lot of room for learning on the fly so having that mentality going into the matchup and knowing exactly what you want each thing to do is where i find to um, have the most success so obviously, you know, knowing what your stuff does comes with a lot of practice. There's there's no other way to ascertain mastery and understanding of your own War Scrolls and their function without a lot of experience either with the army or in the game as a whole. But how do you approach knowing what it is that your opponent's army does? I mean, no offense by this, but, you know, I don't describe you as a Warhammer grinder who, you know, knows everything about every army. You definitely have a lot of familiarity with a lot of things, but how do you decide what the hard targets are table side? I try to stay pretty familiar with what the war scrolls are, but then I also I have no hesitation to ask my opponent like before the match starts, like, hey, this is the unit that has this and it can do this, right? If they want to lie to me, then that's their <laughs> prerogative. But I try to Again, it's not in the game where I think these kind of matchups are won. It's before the game starts and, and having that clear plan. So ask questions, understand that, like, as much as you study, right, you're never going to remember everything in and out unless you're Brendan or Brad or whoever it might be. But don't be scared to say, hey, this unit does this and this, right? And confirm your thoughts. And then in your mind, when you ask that question, think, hey, this in my army is perfect for dealing with that. Or I definitely know this thing shouldn't go into that. It, I think is another big thing to consider. Don't be scared to retreat. Don't always mm-hmm. charge because you can charge. Yeah. Things like that. It's, it's very important all the time, but even more so when you're playing armies that maybe don't stack up to, to the others. I'm glad you brought that up because that's what we're going to segue into next year. Being successful with an off-meta army, you know, brings brings its own kind of penalty. You know, it, it's great. You know, you can have a lot of success in the early couple rounds, but the more you keep winning, the closer your table number starts getting to single digits. And the closer to single digits are, the more likely you are to encounter the really gross. How do you handle playing the things that are on meta? or the things that do pose to be extraordinarily difficult matchups, and you are already playing... Handicapped, in a way. To a certain degree, you know, it's not saying that you can't build really creative and unique lists off of off-meta that answer these questions, but there's a reason other people aren't playing them, typically. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously tough, but I think... Being patient, I think, is the most important thing. I think you see, I can use myself as a perfect example because looking back on Meltdown, where I, you know, I, I was 4 0 going into round five playing on the top table, I was playing against, I don't know exactly what the list was off the top of my head, but basically an Iron Jaws list that could teleport and be right in my face. Yeah. <laughs> Standing there, I was like, well, there's no way I can beat this. So then I just kind of got impatient and I set it up where it was an all or nothing move. And looking back on it, had I just set one more unit up to screen and waited one more turn, I think I would have won the game because I underestimated the amount that I could do or that I could survive through that. And I think, honestly, the biggest thing is the mental roadblock of playing some of those armies because you can play a great army, but you have to execute that army just as well as the other person. So don't just count it as a loss before it starts. 
be patient and believe in the tools that you have and think about what they do. And don't just forget that as you start to get further along, because one of the benefits of playing kind of an off-meta army is that, yeah, people like you are still going to know what it does, but you don't always realize exactly what it does. And you don't realize some of the, the power that might be in some of the units that you don't see all the time. So you might put something into what you think is the important thing in my army and maybe that's what I wanted you to do and then you know it puts them at kind of an uncomfortable position too where if you just stay with your strengths and stay in what you believe then I don't I think you can beat any of that crap so Dan kind of the same question to you you haven't necessarily had as much of an opportunity to end up in those same places but you have come across you know pretty tough players in early rounds of events how do you approach those games where you are playing, you're playing with a hand behind your back versus somebody who's got something that's, you know, quite good. I think one of the examples is um, when we played at RampCon, I played Dave and he had his Thundercats. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, that was frightening at first, you know, but to your point, Bryce, you kind of look for your opportunities, I think. And as I'm learning to play my Night Haunt, that's really, I think, what's made a difference in me losing or getting a tie or losing and just getting smacked around or losing because of a die roll or something like that, is that I look for opportunities, you know, with all those Thundercats, what do I do? And then I had to think about, you know, to you said, what can that unit do? What can this unit do? And I've learned to use my chain rests in a lot of different creative ways now, not just grab objectives, but use them as speed bumps or use them. They're a lot more durable than I thought they would have been. A unit of 20 of them can hang around for a while, no matter what hits them. So looking for those opportunities, you grab an objective, that's three points or that's two points that you didn't have otherwise. I'm learning to use my coach a lot better. I mean, the coach can actually hit pretty hard, especially if it gets up to level three or four. Well, and you put it into the right target. Yeah, right. It really can. I mean, just in our game, you know, that daughter's game we played, though, that coach hit your your witches, man. It tore them up pretty good. Yeah. I need something. You know, the spirit, the three spirit hosts that I have here, yeah, they're not doing much. Maybe I could do some maneuvering and get some other stuff on my list. So I think that's it. Not just, I mean, I was, I was literally like shell-shocked when I saw Dave's Thundercats. But then I got over that real quickly and just said, okay, play the game. And I jumped on objectives really quickly, and I played the objective game, which you have taught me to do and others, and not worry about what your opponent has other than figuring out creative ways to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And so not being intimidated. You know, if you lose, you lose. So what? It's you, You've lost to a better player. That's how that comes down, if you're not making mistakes. You know, that's the other thing, Bryce. I think you mentioned that. Man, I can think of a couple of games where I've made a drop. That patience thing you mentioned, Bryce, was like, ooh, I got to get I got these guys underground. I got to get them on the board. It was like, well, that after I did it, the turn after, it was like, that was so stupid. Like, I could have put those 20 chain rafts somewhere else, and they would have been so much more effective than where I put them. They're just a waste. And those are the kind of things I look at, too, I think, now that I didn't before. And, you know, if I get to my heroes blown off the board like you did to me still play the game you still got to hang in there and you still got to roll the dice and do whatever you can to get a result if nothing else just know your units be patient use the opportunities that you see to try to win the game so if i may pontificate for a moment from the other side of the table because there's no other way to describe my long-winded ramblings the As kind of a more of an on-meta player than an off-meta player, I understand my earliest days in competitive Age of Sigmar was off-meta Nagash, Necromancer, 3x10 Zombies, 800 summoning points. Very different from present-day Brendan. The hairs on the back of my neck do stand up when I see a list that I am unfamiliar with, when they're playing something that I 
I haven't done the research on specifically this. I do have a lot of questions suddenly for that player. I am concerned, you know, having to, you know, be able to decipher what their plan is on the fly, you know, figure out like to what Bryce's point was, if this is the trap that they're trying to set up. You know, I have their war scrolls pulled up on my phone and I'm flipping through them and I'm trying to figure out, you know, of the things that I have asked the question, you know, is there a thing that I missed? You know, what there is real value in playing off meta in those games because if you catch an opponent who is supremely sure of the quality of their army and they have gone to such lengths to neglect their opponents right you know this is our art of war conversation coming up yet again you have the opportunity to catch them by surprise you have you have feigned you know weakness where there is strength and are capable of catching them unawares i rarely fear you know, catching a, you know, like a known kind of list because I go, okay, I know what, you know, what this does. I, you know, in this kind of situation, I know I have to do X, Y, Z, whatever. And I just go through the motions with something that I am prepared for. You know, I know that there are matchups that I'm not great with. I still know those motions, but if I see a capable player playing something that, you know, wasn't on my top 10 hit list of armies, I need to make sure I know those are my most stressful games by far, regardless of mission, regardless of what I think I know, because now sometimes I'm wrong in, in the assumption, but this person is trying to do something very particular and they have maybe come across something that I am unaware of. Is that, Bryce, something that, that you are kind of hoping to achieve, you know, when you are coming across those kinds of games? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there's a lot of potential to to include things that maybe people are somewhat familiar with as the threat. So a lot of times I'll bring like a unit of five evocators because people are like, oh, evocators, I got to worry about that and kill those. And then the real threat in the army isn't that at all. The things that people know that they are certain of, right? So they're going to deal with it where... The real threat is making sure that you screen properly for my prime so that I can't come into what I want to and have units there to support it. But you're worried about the evocators that are on the objective over on the other side of the table and your necromancer or whatever it is in your list that's important is open and then, you know, you don't think about the things that aren't there, like you're saying, or you assume that what I'm trying to do is this when really I'm trying to do something completely different. I have a question for the two of you. So if you see, and this happens to me regularly with, with my night hunt, I see a big thing, okay, whatever it is, and it's tough. It's a stonehorn or it's a cabbage or whatever it is. If you don't have the capability of beating it up, what are your thoughts? My, and here's my thoughts. So I, I kind of need validation from, from you guys, from both of you. This is, is the whole point of the podcast yeah, is validation. So this is kind of what I want to know is, so I have two reactions to that. The first one is avoidance, because that model can only be in one place at one time. So that's the first thing I try to do. If I can, that <laughs> I keep my blade guys away from it. I keep other things away from it. And then the second thing is tar pit it. I mean, those are the two things that I've learned now that if I can, I try to do those two things. Do those seem reasonable if you don't have some way to destroy something? So I think in this specific instance avoidance is a great tactic i think tar pitting is a poor one okay that unit gets its points back in combat Mm. this is a model that you want to surround 3.1 inches away with units that you do not care about and you leave it in a spot and you force it to have to spend 50 percent of the turns it's on the table 
not doing the thing that it spent points on. Mm. There are units that, you know, they make up their money in all sorts of other ways and places and, and tar pitting them is, you know, is the right decision because they can't get through 20 chain rafts and that's a totally fine 160 point investment to keep that hero killer fighting just a bunch of dudes. Mm-hmm. And Stonehorn will kill 40 <laughs> models, no problem. Yeah. Just needs a good dice roll and he's off to the races. And if you let him do that in your turn, yeah. then... In his turn, he's going to go get the thing that you didn't want it to go get. The concept of avoidance and tar pitting is totally acceptable and valuable in kind of a grander sense. There's the notion of speed bumping, mm-hmm. right? You know, which the birds in Stormcast lists are really yeah. good at. Ishlay and Guard are really good at it. You know, where they're more of a turn or two of a speed bump where it keeps your opponent from going places. Rules that force your opponent to be unable to retreat are really valuable in very similar respects. You know, when you're talking avoidance, it's keeping your important things away from that. And you got to hope that you have the the speed to do that, which is part of the problem of, uh, you know, being able to deal with shooting is it's very difficult mm-hmm. to deal with things that have, you know, 30 to 48 inch effective threat ranges. <laughs> it's a much taller order than, you know, than the rest of a model that does not fly and cannot retreat and charge. That's very manageable to deal with. You know, you can deal with that 400-some-odd model with a unit of 10 chain rafts, and you just build a wall long enough where, in order for it to go around, it's wasting a whole turn. It's angles, so yeah. I like, as a competitive player, having a big scary thing that mm-hmm. I want you to have to spend all of your time thinking about. If you spend all your time thinking about the one big scary thing, the two slightly less bigger scary things are going to be the things that win me the game. That's Bryce, to your point, was, yeah... yeah what you want people to see and what so what do you think about avoidance and tar pitting as a a tactic yeah so i i'm pretty much in agreement with brendan one of my favorite things to do in the game is when people have their big thing that's going to come destroy you is to just put three units of birds around it and say okay here's three turns of you wasting your time because it has to fight them like it can't ignore them and if you set up properly around it it can't just fly around them so having not tar pitting necessarily i think tar pitting if you have the right units to do it is great i mean things that you know are are more durable and can stand but there's not a lot of things that are going to stand up to a a stonehorn or a terrorgeist or whatever it might be so having things around it that slow it down i think is is one of the most enjoyable moments is when you just get to see this big scary thing that only got to kill nine birds in a game And so for context, what we're talking about when we say birds are the aether wings. If they are in range of vanguard raptors, they get to make super free, very illegal moves in your opponent's charge phase and pinning them down in places that they don't want to be. And it's hilarious and fun unless you're on the receiving end. And then it's not fun (laughs) or hilarious at all. Uh, I've heard so many stories. Yeah, evil. And they're 50 points. For three, they're one of the best investments you can make in an order yeah. army, and specifically Stormcast, to keep yourself away from the most vicious and deadly combat characters that there are in the game, or pinning a shooting unit down so that they have to shoot that unit of birds instead of yep. what it is that you don't want them shooting anyways. It's dumb and amazing, and I love it. <laughs> so what do you guys think in terms of dealing with shooting? Obvious question for me based on I mean like yeah like this is a question for Bryce I mean for yeah. me you know my perspective is just like my army is so good at whatever it is that it's doing I like it's already part of the equation Yeah right what do you think Bryce in terms of if with your Sylvaneth how are you going to deal with a shooting army or somebody who has the potential to be a shooting army 
So my army is pretty good at dealing with shooting because my trees block line of sight. So this army is fine against shooting, but I think the biggest thing with shooting is, is kind of the last point that I wanted to bring up is having the ability to avoid favorite model syndrome and also mm-hmm. use favorite model syndrome to your advantage. That's one of the things when I teach new people up here how to, how to play and, and what's good and what's bad and whatever it might be, I always tell them, don't have a favorite model in your army or if you do at least know that that model you're rarely going to get to play with it because it's your favorite for a reason and it's probably not because it looks nice maybe it is for some people like me but most of the time the favorite model in the army is the army the thing that makes whatever it is that you love about the army work right so having a backup plan when that model dies is really important because aside from a, a few scenarios you can get to the shooting and make it stop it might cost you a unit or two along the way, and it might be that favorite model, but once you get to it and make it shoot the things you want it to shoot, then they're not happy. I think the biggest mistake that I ever see made is when that unit or model or whatever it is dies, it's like blood in your eyes, and all you want is vengeance for that model dying, so you charge six things into whatever shot it and put yourself in a position that you already lost the game. If you can just move past that and know that most of the time, shooting is a one-turn thing, and if you can deal with it on the second turn, then you win the game. I think it's not as big of a problem. One of the things you mentioned, you know, that I love in your notes talking about that favorite model syndrome, and I was listening to a uh, YouTube video, a couple Australian guys talking about Nighthawk, and this totally changed my perspective on my coach. Because one of the guys, and I still remember the words were, your coach is a distraction piece. Wow, What? I, wait a minute. I thought that was like a feature focus model. He's like, no, it's a distraction. It can do a lot of things, but when it goes away, you know, it's okay when you pull it off the board. And what it's going to do for a lot of your opponents is it's going to focus their attention. It was like, wow, I didn't even think about that. And now I just use my coach totally different than I did before. And to your point, if I pull it, it's great. And now I have it to look at at the side of the board, you know, <laughs> instead of on the <laughs> table. But I don't care anymore. And I, I think you're absolutely right. That's so important with models like that, that you spend a bazillion hours on to make it look good. It's like, okay, yeah. And it was fun while it lasted. But as long as it's doing something, it's serving a purpose. I think that's more important than anything. Yeah, and there's a lot of times where I, I actually, speaking from a hobby perspective, will spend a lot of time painting a model that I want to be the distraction because mm. I think subconsciously people go after the pretty thing. I'll make the thing that I want people to go after look the nicest and make it look the biggest and whatever it might be because it catches their attention more. <laughs> it works for some people, not for all, but hey, if it works once, it it's could, its job. It can make the difference between you being 4-1 and one and 5-0. and oh. <laughs> So, a bit of a tangent on this one. One of my buddies growing up applied that same principle to his Necron army and painted his monolith gold. God, that's awesome. Uh, <laughs> I, I know you have, I know you have like no reference for you know like what monoliths did you know back when we were in high school, Bryce. Oh, yeah, yeah. They weren't the best, but they were very durable. And you know, he'd be like, "Yeah, big, super important. Shoot my monolith. Do it. You know, you like go nuts. <laughs> Use all your las cannons on that target. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yes." And then, you know, everything else would would swing around and try and win him the game. Like within that philosophy structure, in the instances when I am playing something that isn't the most popular hotness, I like to make sure I always include something that I choose to be a distraction piece. Without any reservation, I know that the goal of this is to absorb fire, you know, make it sound like it is the key fundamental part of the function of my army. 
like my Nurgle Beast of Chaos, I wanted everyone thinking that my Great Unclean One was the focus, you know, the linchpin, the thing that made the army go. And, you know, it was useful. It did things for it, right? It's one of those things you looked at it on paper and you're like, ah, I see the function. It does help. I do need to take care of this to keep it from functioning. But it was really only useful turn one. (laughs) And so, you know, you show what it does turn one and then your opponent goes, okay, I got to go deal with that. Otherwise, he's Mm going to keep getting to do this all game. I think that's, from my perspective, a key element in something that I would be bringing in, you know, in an off-meta situation on top of, you know, the three threats and... And if I can also integrate it into the, the three-threat part of it, cool, awesome, great. Now I maybe have four. But I think when you are playing something off-meta, you need something actively being a distraction to your opponent. So any additional thoughts, any kind of additional directives, wisdom to impart, Bryce? Things that you think are worth sharing that we didn't quite cover here? Uh, I mean, I know we talked about it, but I, I, the most important thing is 100% playing the games, practicing the army. And like you said, with the Stormcast, I played Stormcast almost exclusively with, you know, a little bit of random mixed order here and there for the course of two or three years. I can tell you basically everything in that army, what it does without looking at the war scroll. If I have it on the table, I know what it does. And that's where success comes from, whether it's meta or non-meta, knowing exactly what things do and the right time to use it is 100% what wins you games, not playing the flashiest thing or the best thing on some website or whatever it might be so practice 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 i know you guys say it all the time but it truly is the thing that makes you a better player and have more fun in the game because you don't get sad (laughs) yeah winning very rarely makes you sad it's interesting how that works dan any bits of wisdom things to impart and don't be discouraged if you're not winning a bunch of games, you know, and I, I don't want that to sound like, well, I always expect to lose when I go to it. No, God, no. I, I expect to win. I want to win. I'm going to play to win every game. But it also means that if you do lose, you walk away. And I think if you lose, then you should be disappointed. You should, that you didn't win the game. But you should also then take the lessons you've learned. What did you do that game that was good? What did you do that was an improvement from the last time you played? What unit did you use more effectively? Or what? Did, how did you learn to use that unit differently than you did before? So if you take that away, then to your point, Bryce, that practice game, whether you won or lost, is valuable in the long run. Because you're kind of adding to your library of experience. From my perspective, you know how to use your Lady O differently or how you have to use her to be successful. How you have to use your coaches differently, your chain rests differently, whatever they are. And how you have to use them effectively. So I think that's my takeaway in in terms of playing an off-meta army. Yeah. And, you know, don't be afraid to ask for help in your practice or at events. You know, after the end of the game, don't be afraid to ask your opponents what they thought. You know, how they approached the different things that you threw at them and what they saw. Mm There are no secrets in this game, right? You know, so everything is open note, open book, except for a handful of decisions and dice rolls that you are told exclusively to to keep undercover. But the rest of it, just learn. Be willing to learn and, and take those licks. And over time, you are going to see the game in a different light. If you can kind of put all these gears that work together in this unusual and different way, that is an advantage all its own when you are playing... Number one, the competitive side of the room, even more so kind of that mid-table jungle that you have to get through, where it's most people who are looking to win three games over the course of, you know, the five-game weekend, but you're looking for four. You know where the best place to pick up those wins is early and in the middle. 
Uh, it's real hard to win on those top tables, even if you have the good stuff. You pick up your wins against the majority of the field. The rest is luck, dice rolls, and matchups. So, yeah, I think that was a healthy conversation there on yeah. how to, you know, look at armies that don't fit into that sphere of, well, if you aren't playing this, it doesn't matter. On to talking about books and stuff. Yeah, off we go. Etc. 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 All right, we're back with books and stuffs. Yay! As always, we're going to talk about new releases, if any. And there are actually four new books that have been released. The first one, of course, yesterday was the Cursed City book, which sold out, my understanding is, faster than the game. So must be a good book and looking forward to reading that. Another one is called The End of Enlightenment. It is a Sigmar book about a, a Lumineth hero who versus an OBR hero. That's the basic story. Sounds interesting, and I'm sure if you're interested in either one of those armies, it would be a book that might be fun for you to read. Oh, I thought it was going to be about, like, the early 1800s. Nah, you're off by only about <laughs> 2,000 years, man, I guess. And how many universes away. The other one that I'm really looking forward to reading is Luther, who was the real lord of the Dark Angels, not Lionel L. Jerkson. And Please, this is, tell us how you really feel. <laughs> this is written by Gav Thorpe, so it should be a great book. And I'm just interested to see if he really gives Luther's perspective or how he writes Luther as a character because we really have never seen that kind of focus and if you read the original two dark angels novels from the heresy you just get that totally different perspective on him and so i'm hoping he kind of follows through with that the last book coming out is an anthology of genevieve the vampire i can't wait to reread these books because i've read all four of them genevieve is who got me interested in vampires i mean she just once i read the first book i'm like vampires are so cool it's interesting because as a character she is i'm not going to say she's a good vampire let's just say she isn't a totally evil snot like you know nefrado or manford and those guys she's kind of got this weird you know witcher vibe or any of those guys who are morally kind of in between you know there's something good inside but true, outside true neutral yeah she's just fascinating as a character so like every single one of tom's characters in our D campaign so i strongly recommend at least the first book if you are interested it's called drakenfels and that's the first Genevieve book. So if you're interested in her as a character, you might want to check that out and then pick this up if you think you'd like a few more reads of hers. So those are the four books that are coming out this weekend and hitting the streets. Bryce, what about you? Reads, watches, listening and things? I've been just so deep into the Sandman Slim series. Mm. I read the or listened to the first book a while back and then yeah. uh, got distracted and listened to a few other things. And now I'm on to the sixth book. And I just, I've just, I really enjoy it. It's, it's just so much fun. It's, you guys, you know, funny and entertaining and good stuff. You guys over at Plain and Slain got me started on that. I went, got through the first two, and then I've okay. gotten distracted to other things. But I just love the story and I love the characters. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is, it's, fun. it's, it's awesome, fun. man. It rates up there with uh, Dresden to me. It just totally different character, obviously, in a different yeah. environment, but just. The general vibe I really like. It's so good. Yeah, I'd highly recommend anyone ch- yeah. check it out. Anything else you got going on? Watch. That's really or, it. Been uh, doing that. Oh, I watched The Last Kingdom, which mm. I really enjoyed. 
on Netflix. Yep. So I don't. I'm not sure if you guys have seen that one or heard of that one. But oh, I have strong like, feelings oh, about Vikings. the last. Yeah, he does. Price. He does. Oh yeah. Yeah, I have strong feelings that it is the single most average show on television. It is a show that genuinely seems to have no consequences for any of the actions that occur, regardless of how intelligent or poor they are. You end up in like kind of sitcom, like same place kind of things all the time. I'm glad people enjoy it and I recognize that I'm one of the few people that views the show this way. So obviously I'm the crazy person, but I watch it and I just go, oh, and Uhtred does something stupid. I wonder if he's gonna have to suffer literally any long-term consequence for this oh no wow look at that uh <laughs> i don't have an interest in watching because there was a oh, right after <laughs> such a stunning review how could you <laughs> well, i think it was bernard Cor- cornwell who does like historical fiction or someone similar to him did a book series on this in that time frame, and I really enjoyed it. I just don't have any interest in watching it. But otherwise, I love the period. I love the story. You know, that period of history, I think, is fascinating. Well, how about you, Brendan? Yes. So I finished listening to Buried Dagger, which I talked about on the last episode. And so to make sure that I had something that was show-appropriate to talk about... I also started, on top of the other thing that I'm listening to, I started the Siege of Terra uh, book oh, series. I just started that last week, I think. You know, I'm, I'm interested in, in having, seeing those specifics finish up because I did used to read the Horus Heresy series up mm-hmm. until, I think it's the one where Sanguinius fights the corn demons. Oh yeah, where he, yeah, that's where the... That's where the Black Rage and everything... Yeah, I I think that's the last, like, one that I read, like, in the consecutive portion Mm -hmm. of it, and then I took a break for a number of years, and now Mm -hmm. there's 97 million of them, and I'm like, like, we are not getting caught. That's a good book to have made it through. That's pretty important. So I was like, well, I want to know the Siege stuff, and then it'll be one of those things where, like, I ask you and Troy if there's any other specific ones. And if there's questions... Be sure to ask me because yeah, uh, there's definitely characters I've come across where I was like, I need to Google this real quick. Yeah, yeah. Like they're you know they're having conversations where I'm like, they're behaving as as the writer where I should know mm-hmm. like what mm-hmm. it is that's going on here, and I was like, and I have never heard of this character before, and we don't seem to be explaining them at all, so it's on me at this point. So I started that in terms of watches. I talked about Death Amongst Mormons on the last show, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you said okay. you enjoyed that. Time is a, is a weird concept. Last Chance You <laughs> came out with a basketball one. So I really enjoy Last Chance You about the football one. Like, it's all like this reality TV, you know, like housewives of whatever, but it's, you know, for sports guys. Of course. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's about, you know, these guys who go through the junior college path to, you know, to go, you know, play Division One and get scholarships and get educations. And one of the things that I really thoroughly disliked about the college football version of it is there are so many of these dudes that you're just sitting there watching like you're a real jerk you are wasting something incredible that's you know being put in front of you like what are you doing Mm -hmm. Uh, so this is about college basketball and you know Bryce you know much more about the ins and outs of college basketball than I do so this is junior college in LA I was really blown away at one how totally different you know they were able to present the show it like within this different sport but i didn't find that there were any of these guys that i was sitting there being like you are an idiot like like what are you doing all of them you know 
have their own troubles and things that, you know, that, that they're dealing with and these different hardships and stuff that they've come across. You know, like one of the guys was one of these dudes who was fast tracked to get to the NBA, you know, taught like out of high school kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like he was going to go play big primetime, Big Ten, Division One football, not football, basketball. He was going to go be an NBA player. And through a number of injuries, you know, he fell out of that and then he fell into a spiral and the dude ended up in prison. And this is his way back. And that's a guy that's really, you, you find yourself really rooting for because, you know, it's hard, right? You know, like it's really frustrating to see all those things and, you know, the coach is a good guy, because that's the other thing in some of these shows. The coaches are not always good guys on the on the football side of it. Which yeah. is realistic, yeah. The coach in Last Chance U for Basketball genuinely seems like a good dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, mm-hmm. he genuinely wants what's best for these guys. Sure. It's eight or ten episodes. They're like an hour apiece. I couldn't sit down and binge all of them, because, you know, some of the episodes are like really heavy you know mm-hmm. these are guys who have been through some tough spots you know one of the players lost an important family member to him and, and he's finding his new family in these spaces and it's just it's really good though i really liked it so that's what i've been into dan watching reading listening yeah not really watching that much recently i'm continuing i've only got like three hours left of the prince roger book the last one and it's just weird like it reminds me a lot of how dan abnett writes gaunt's ghosts where there are these characters that you've really become attached to i mean almost emotionally attached to i've read so many books and all of a sudden he kills one of them and literally you get emotional when you're listening or reading the book going seriously you just like you want to weep like this is such an amazing character and they're gone Mm. You know, so that happened again in this book with one of the characters that's been, this is the third book he's in. And you're like, no, not him. And, he, you know, he died heroically. It's just the way the book is written and sure. it's read that you can't help but really feel some kind of strong attachment and emotion when the, when the guy dies. But still excellent. And, you know, hopefully I'll get this finished. And as soon as I finish this, I was thinking about whether I wanted to read or listen to Luther. And I really think I want to listen to it because I want to read Genevieve. My next listen, I think, will be Luther. I am about a third of the way, a little more than a third of the way through Penitent, which is the second uh, Beckwin book. Man, Abnet is just, all of a sudden, these people just appear. And you're like, what? And I'm not giving anything away. This isn't a big spoiler. She and this other guy are down in this catacombs, like a bazillion miles under the city. All of a sudden, they come in this big, giant cathedral-like room. And there are all these people worshiping this giant like almost a statue made of bones and it's got wings and she's looking at the bones going something not right about it well they were huge and she realizes these were bones from a space marine and you're going wings space marine no 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 not happening and so he continues with the story and all of a sudden she looks up because they kind of see the sky and she sees this figure with wings crouched like over and it looks like white skin black and you're going no there's no way this is sanguineous you're going there's no way because we know that i'm trying to think of the salamanders their primarch and i can't think of the name bryce i don't know if you vulcan can vulcan yeah he was a perpetual you know so he died a few times and every time he came back and you're going i wonder if this is like Sanguinius was a perpetual and this is him and he's been trapped like he had no memory which is kind of on some perpetuals they lose some memory he appears and he does some stuff and it turns out that Beckwin like she has this cuff where she can turn on and off her you know pariah 
stuff. Well, she turned it on, and when he got close enough, all of a sudden his demeanor just totally changed because he was obviously in the Black Rage, which is a Blood Angels thing, so you know he's a Blood Angel. And he was like, oh, don't go away. That feels so good not to have that torment all the time. They're walking along, and all of a sudden he kind of looks at them, and he just takes off. Like, what was all that? (laughs) It was just so bizarre. And it, it was cool, but then it just... All of a sudden you had 10 questions. You know, what was that? What did that mean? Is it going to come back in the story? Really, really good. And she's a really cool character because she doesn't have any, like, superhuman strength or powers or anything. She's just a null, just a pariah. How she's maturing her friendship with an Inquisitor, a very important Inquisitor, is really cool how that's growing. So all those things are great. And I'm really enjoying that book. But when I finish that, now that Genevieve has come out, I'm going to put that on my target list next for reading. And then Cursed City will be after that. So I've got a good queue built up of some decent books books so that's it for me not terribly surprising yeah. that you have a, a small <laughs> stack of books that you're working towards dan yeah i'm not i'm never going to get there with ty i'm not going to read 40 books in a year and i'm never going to get there it's you might catch him now he's been valheiming it or whatever oh. that game's called yeah maybe this is the time yeah maybe i can get up to 10 quick <laughs> guys keep distracted <laughs> yeah, he, so, yeah he's into that big time that's cool competition between shows there's no way I'm going to catch up not addressed in any way shape or form episodes maybe but never in books god alright so let's move on then and let's ask each other some silly questions we'll be right back (laughs) this is that time and Bryce, everybody's doing three questions. You can ask either one of us your questions or all three to one or whatever you want to do. Okay, my first question, I don't know, it has to count as two, that's okay, but it's to both of you. To go along with what we talked about today, Dan, you can't say Night Haunt. Um, what is an off-meta army that's always had your interest peaked? Beast of Chaos. Oh, man. Because it was my first Warhammer hmm. Fantasy army. Okay, you guys would not consider Nurgle off would you off meta it depends on what you'd be playing if i'd be playing a bunch of plague bears yeah that would be off okay so that has fascinated me is a horde army of plague bears okay so nice not even using do we alternate great cl- or do I ask all you them? can ask all of them if you yeah. want that's fine no let's alternate that's more fun okay okay you're the guest you you can do <laughs> so brendan why don't you throw out one of yours okay dan cool. do my one for you just magically, theoretically, ten thousand tax-free dollars have fallen out of the sky. Wow! Uh, they have landed on your porch. Sweetness. Yeah, that's kind of the. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, post, next question. Yeah, yeah post. <laughs> Post-pandemic, what are you going to do with that? Are you guys going to go on vacation? Mm. Where are you going? What are you doing with it? So first, we're going to take a vacation somewhere. Okay. Where I don't know yet. We've talked about stuff, but it'd probably be relatively domestic. I think for $10,000 probably. Okay. But definitely take a vacation. I think the rest of it is pay off debts, you know, pay off credit cards, things like that. It sounds kind of, well, that's pretty boring. But hey, that's where I am that's in life. That's what you want to do with your magical, yeah. and in, then like, the rest of it, $10,000, that's on you. And if it comes soon enough, I would put a fair amount of that money aside for my vampire army. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's my, okay. my spend on the 10000 All right, Dan, your turn. Okay. So, Bryce, we now have two, I guess you could call them factions of Lumineth. We have Earth and we have Air. Which would you rather play if you had to make a choice? Uh, man, put me in a hard position. I'd say Air because I like that fox thing so much that um, (laughs) I would like to just have six of those in my army. 
Uh, awesome. Well, you can. The flying fox, That's, isn't that what yeah. it is? Yeah. Yeah. Spear yeah. of the wind. Yeah. Okay. So air. Okay. Yeah. All right. We're back to you then. Dan, as you know, Brendan and I have a weekly D&D game. If you had to roll up a character to join with us today, based on all the funny stories you've heard Brendan tell over the course of the last couple of years, what would your character be, and what would be his number one character flaw? Yeah, so for extra background, Bryce's character flaws are legendary in our party for really screwing us over. (laughs) If I was going to join your group, I would be a ranger. I just enjoy that class. I've enjoyed it for years. I just love that. Whatever. I th- uh, character flaw. I'm trying to think of games I've played where I've had that. Oh, because we all always have to have character flaws. Yeah. That's- I'm just trying to think of being too quiet, being too isolated in the group. That's something I've played a couple of times where when people ask me questions or they say, you know, what do you want to do or whatever, I just, as I'm role playing, I don't react very much. I just kind of look and I don't have much input. I just kind of react to stuff as the group does. And it really drives people crazy because I'm not interacting and it's a role playing game. (laughs) So I think that would be mine is being too, I don't know, there's not isolated isn't the term. There's another term for that, but that would be it. My favorite one of Bryce's was the first one that we had where he's a degenerate gambler and, and will gamble on anything and everything, no matter what. Yeah, we played a lot of high-low to decide which way we were going to go in the, oh, that's hilarious. In the jungles of Schult. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mine is a question for the both of you. Would you rather play a meta army but play off-meta units, or would you rather try and maximize an off-meta army? Mine is maximize. Same no, here. no thought required. Okay. Same here. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> Make it as effective well, as possible. Well, easy enough then. <laughs> okay. Scribble that out. So, I guess I'm back. So I have a question for both of you. Okay. Gorgonzola or Baylor? It's, I know it's Gonzaga. I just call it Gorgonzola, Bryce. So <laughs> who is it? Who's the winner of the game tomorrow? Because it's tomorrow, isn't it? Tomorrow yeah, the big tomorrow, game? Yeah. yeah, tomorrow is Monday. Yeah, I know that. For those of like, us listening in the past, today is Sunday. Tomorrow is Monday. <laughs> yeah, and, and for you, it could be any day of the week. <laughs> Up to you. You decide. This is the one thing I do follow in sports is the tournament. But what do you guys think? What do you want to have? Based on last night, it is going to be Baylor. Really? I'm a very biased non-believer in... In the Zags? What did you call him? Gorgonzola? Yeah, Gorgonzola, <laughs> yeah. I just think, and not that, that Baylor's conference is that much better, but when you're playing in the conference where you don't play many teams of high caliber, mm-hmm. it's not that hard to be undefeated. And they got a pretty easy path. And UCLA took him to the win. I wanted UCLA to oh, win. Oh, boy, so that was close. God. Three point. Wasn't it three points, I think? Yeah. Two or three points? Three-point buzzer yeah, beater. Yeah, three-point buzzer beater. My yeah. Terrell really Suggs close. in overtime. Yeah. Really close. UCLA had the chance uh, as the time expired. So you yeah. want Baylor to win. Okay, you think Baylor's going to win. Brendan? Uh, I'll stand opposite to Bryce. I'm going to root for the Zags here. The reason being, I want them to finish the undefeated season. They've made it this far. Now, granted, it's not the... Most games won in an undefeated season. I like teams that are able to wire to wire have that record. I think that's exciting and special and important. You know, before the show, Bryce, I was talking to Brennan about Gonzaga. His I've been a, a fan of theirs for a long time because I'm always a fan of underdogs. You know, and I can remember the first time they broke into the tournament. You know, nobody had heard of Gonzaga before, and then all of a sudden they're there. You know, and they stay there. So that's kind of why they started out is an underdog and then 
you know, they've just done really well. So that's why I'm rooting for them if I have to. Not that they're going to win, but... Mm. Okay, so Bryce, we're back to you for your third question, I think. Back to me. It's a question for both again. Recently, I put a, a poll on Twitter for something that I am considering, and it's based around a giveaway. Would you rather win one army that is massively converted in about 2,000 points or one army that is stock out of the box about 6,000 points? I mean, for me, this one's easy. Stock out of the box, 6,000 points. Not just because, you know, I'm a volume shooter, but also because when it comes down to it, if I needed to add on to it, I wouldn't necessarily feel afraid to to do Mm -hmm. so. I think with a super highly customized army, like, yeah, it'll be really cool and it'll be really awesome and be really special, but, you know, this is a very fluid game and I would personally hate to be stuck with and stuck with is the wrong word but, but to have something that kind of exists in a moment of time and you know maybe in the future it doesn't provide that same functional wonder that it did before I think for me I would take the custom I'm going to kind of go opposite I take the custom army because it's and I think I wouldn't play it often, but I would play it at certain events where I thought that the army was important and the painting was important. And, you know, people look at it and go, oh, that's awesome. Not necessarily, and Brenda's point is very valid. You know, you can't add to it. You can't modify it. Or if you did, you kind of have to go back to the person who made it <laughs> and say, hey, could you build and, and paint these two boxes for me? But I just think it'd be a cool showcase army to pull out every once in a while and use for games. So, Brenda, yeah. how about your third? All right, this one's for Bryce. Broken Realms Bellacor is coming out. Other than the model, what are you hoping to come of it? Mm. Mm. Narrative, rules, all of it. Well, the one thing that I really hope doesn't change or at least stays in like some form is his rule where it you know, messes with the unit. Oh, yes. So you, on a four-up, they can't you do that phase that's just that's a i know it's like not a feel-good rule it's a fun rule oh, it's and even i've worse always now, really Bryce. liked it's it on a five up you you have to roll at least a five up to be able to do the thing that you want to do oh each individual thing yeah so it's oh, so wow. right so right now the rule is every casting attempt requires a five up every movement requires a five up <laughs> you know every attack requires a five up <laughs> Nice. Yeah, I like that so much, and that's one of the rules. I remember way back when they had rules like the crazy ones, like the biggest mustache or whatever. I do miss those to a certain degree. (laughs) Yes. Like obviously they're not meant for a competitive world, but it's just stuff like that that kind of makes it unique and fun. And I feel like that Bellacore rule is something that obviously nothing else has, and I'm sure it'll be there in some sense. But I hope it stays relatively similar to what it is. Okay, Brendan, you're gonna get. Oh, you're asking me. I'm asking you. I'm asking you. You get a brand new army and you only have two choices. Okay. You're going to either get a KO army and start a KO army or Uh a Fire Slayer army. KO army. The reason I asked that was because of what you just did with your starter box. I thought that might be which way you went, but I wasn't sure. Well, it's also the Fire Slayer. I do own a couple. Like I do own physically a Fire Slayer start collecting, and I use some like the Hearthguard for my Blood Bowl team. Mm -hmm. I really just wanted to paint a Magma Droth is what it came down to. I just haven't painted it yet because, you know. Because things. Yeah, like other stuff has caught my interest. Um, I think the mono-ness of a Fire Slayer's army is very unattractive to mm-hmm. me, which is boring. Well, there you go. That's it. He also has me whispering in his ears all the time to yeah. <laughs> buy more boats. <laughs> yeah, well, he's got to start anyway. That's good. Sure. Cool. All right, guys, let's uh, close this sucker out. There is something going on around here. 
something you may not even know about. All right, we are done, and we are coming back with episode 72 in a few weeks. We talked before that we've got some stuff going on, and we're going to have to take a little bit of a break, but we'll be here in late March. In late March. I did it again. Damn it. Yeah, it's April. Late, late April. Please don't make us go back in time, Dan. <laughs> It's, We're finally recovering. And how many times do I tell my students time only moves forwards? Only in science fiction does it go backwards. Well, time moving backwards is really a concept. Okay, uh, stop. <laughs> stop. All right. Anyway, 72, we're going to talk about Cursed City. We'll dive into it a little bit. We're not going to deep, deep dive, but talk about some of the concept rules and what we've seen in the models so far and just general how it looks like it plays. Yeah, and, and some fun stuff. And then we've got something else we might we be talking about. We've got a surprise. We've got a surprise. But we're not going to tell you because it's a surprise. All right. So that's episode seven. 72. Bryce, thank you for coming back again, man. It was great to have you here. Yeah, thanks for welcoming me back. Thank it's you always fun. For your insight and uh, look forward hopefully to seeing you in the future. Not too far, I hope. I'm just going to have to drive up and roll some dice with you or something, man. I think I'll have yeah. to do that. We can give each other a workout. You're tree people and my ghosty boys. So yeah, I've almost painted a whole revenant in this podcast. <laughs> oh my God, that's awesome. <laughs> Remember, a Bryce. single remnant. You... Brendan painted Archeon in the amount of time it's going to take me to paint a unit of five. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, whatever uh, it takes. I've been doing a lot more painting during the pandemic than you, Bryce. We had a 20,000-point game that we agreed to. Now, see... Yeah, what's going on here? Speaking of which... Wait, now that we have you on the show... What is going on with that? See, we, we got to... I need to hear some news. I need to hear Bryce. some... Huh? I need um, to hear some news about that. My update is... I don't often speak critically of GW, but I was very, very upset with Lumineth 2.0, yes. and it put a pause on all elf-related things. Okay. So. Well, that's okay. So that's the update, <laughs> and we'll look forward to the next one then. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> okay. I, It'll I'm happen. At, I'm at 25k yeah. right now. I'm in uh, any time, any place, any team, anywhere. BYU college football mindset here. Craziness. Yeah. Maybe I'll have to work some wood elves into the elf so that I can play some trees along with them. That sounds fair. And it's always painted for a purpose. Sometimes the purpose is just to have them. <laughs> All right, gents. Thanks again. And listeners, thank you, as always, for spending time with us. And with that, we will see you next time around. Bye. Bye. This is